0: That I'm about to receive will enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life you may be seated open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28 Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 12 we're continuing with our overflow series today this is part 4 so if you missed any of the messages I encourage you to go to our podcast or to our website we put all of our messages on our website and podcast for free so that you can grow in your faith as well, you can follow along with me in my notes today on the YouVersion Bible app. You go to the events section on the Bible app and look for Faith Christian Center and Overflow. You'll be able to save these notes to your device so you can read them later. Follow along with me now or share them with others. So Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 12. says, The Lord shall open unto you his good treasure. The heaven to give rain unto your land in his season and to bless all the works of your hand, and you shall lend unto many nations, and he shall not borrow. The word treasure here, as we said in the weeks prior, is defined as a treasure house or a storehouse. One version of the Bible says it's a well stocked storehouse. The message version calls it sky vaults. A storehouse simply is where you keep abundance, it is a storage facility or a warehouse for what you cannot currently store in your house. So all that to say is God has a storehouse in heaven, and there are things there with your name on it. God has a storehouse in heaven, and there are things there with your name on it. Go to Psalm 31 verse 19. Psalm 31 verse 19. Psalm 31, verse 19, oh, how great is thy goodness. Now, we can stop right there and say, yes, his goodness is great. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. All those things are true, but to stop right there, you are miss the point of this verse and the impact that it has. When you look at the two definitions from Hebrew, great is defined as abounding, abundant, exceedingly. Abounding, abundant, exceedingly. Goodness is defined as prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision, good in the widest sense of the word, and good to the farthest extreme. So the Psalms are saying, Oh, how great, abounding, abundant, exceedingly is your goodness, prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision, good in the widest sense of the word. Good to the father's extreme, which you have laid up or reserved for them that reverence and fear you. Now, it's great that it's reserved and laid up in the storehouse. But it gets better because it says, Which you have wrought for them that trust in you or make refuge in you or hope in you before the sons of men. Now, it's great that there's things in the storehouse, but that's not for you when you get to heaven. That's not your heavenly reward. What's laid up in the storehouse is for you now on this earth. What's in the storehouse is not supposed to stay up in heaven. It's supposed to manifest in your life today. It's not supposed to say, well, when I get to heaven, everything should be so good. You're not supposed to experience heaven for the first time when you go. Jesus said we should pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven heaven. So if you expect good things to happen in heaven, you should expect good things to happen on earth. And what's in that storehouse, you should believe to manifest in your life. We said what's in that storehouse is way beyond just finances. This storehouse is stocked full with every good thing you can imagine and that has been promised to you in the scripture. Every good thing laid up for you. Which means you are never run into a situation or a circumstance that God didn't already provide for. So just because it caught you off guard, it didn't catch God off guard. It's already laid up for you. And he's like, oh, someone might take mine. No, God has better security than that. It's laid up for you, and it's waiting on you. Another quote we've been sharing this last month is from Amy Simple McPherson. She said, all Jesus is looking for is someone who can reach up in heaven by faith, feel around into the treasure chest of God, get out a treasure and bring it down here and give it to someone they can't get it on their own. So we're not just supposed to keep stuff in the storehouse. We're supposed to bring it to earth for us, but also bring it to earth to help other people out. There are other people who aren't saved yet, or they're young in their faith. They don't know how to access things by faith. But you've grown in the Word, so you know how to use your faith, pull things from heaven, and give it away. That's what Jesus is looking for, for people to take things from heaven and put it on the earth. Let's go to Romans 5.17. Let's look at something else that's stocked up and laid up for us. Because God wants us to live in the overflow. Because what happens when that storehouse is poured out in your life, you experience overflow. It's like what Malachi 3 says, as we read earlier, there's not room enough to receive it. Romans 5, 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. Much more they which receive, say receive. Receive. Abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Before I go along with my notes, I want to explain quickly to you the difference between the gospel and the heresy of inclusionism. Part of the key word there is receive. When Adam sinned, and Satan became God of this world, Satan demanded that all men die. When Jesus came and died and rose from the dead and took back the keys of hell and death, he demanded that all men have a choice. You have a choice. God will not make you choose heaven. He will make you choose hell. He will make sure that you have a choice because well what about the people who don't want to choose either they chose hell so the difference between the truth and the heresy is that you have a choice it's not that well everyone's already saved; they just don't know it that's a heresy that's damnable why is that so scary there'll be people who live their lives and what well, doesn't matter what i do i'm going to heaven and then they die and bust hell wide open because they believe a lie that have been propagated to sound like truth You have a choice. You have to make a decision. It's not your good works that get you into heaven. It's receiving Jesus and following him. It's not your bad things or your sins that send you to hell. There's only one thing that sends you to hell, and that's rejecting Jesus. So people say, well, you can go to hell for lying just like stealing and killing all that. That's not true. People only go to hell because they reject Jesus or they don't make a decision for Jesus. You say, well, God sends people to hell. No, he only sent one man to hell, and his name is Jesus. God sent Jesus to hell so you don't have to go. But people still go to hell all the time because they make choices to go to hell. But God says you don't have to go. You have a choice today. Where do you want to go, heaven or hell? It's up to you. So back to my notes. So those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. What is righteousness? It is your standing. Once you're born again, you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what you do from here on out. You can't change your standing. You may not be living the way you're supposed to do. You may not be living holy, and your conduct needs to change and be upgraded to match your standing. But when you sin, it doesn't change your standing. You are as much righteous right now as you'll ever be because of what Jesus did. Because righteousness is your standing, when you sin, when you mess up, when you blow it, you can come to God and say, God, I missed it. I did wrong. I sinned. I confess it before you. First John 1 said, 9 says, when he sinned, confess your sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Once unrighteousness cleansed, what is left? Righteousness. Because you're the righteous of God in Christ Jesus, you have standing to come before the throne of grace and receive forgiveness and cleansing. So once you're born again, you receive the gift of righteousness. You are righteous. I am righteous. Say, so I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am of God in Christ Jesus. And we talked about abundance of grace here in the scripture. So notice it's not just grace, it's receiving the abundance of grace. This word abundance means an exceedingly measure, something above the ordinary, or overflowing. An exceedingly measure, something above the ordinary, or overflowing. If you receive an overflowing amount of grace, above the ordinary amount of grace, and of the gift of righteousness which you've already received, you shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have a king in this nation. But we're still obsessed with the royalty of the United Kingdom. How do I know that? There's a baby born a couple of weeks ago. That's what everybody's talking about. There's a wedding coming up with Harry and Meghan and everybody's talking about that. We still have an appreciation for royalty. But you have to understand one of the reasons Jesus came was to make you royalty. Revelation chapter 1 talks about how he came to make you kings and priests unto our God. If you're born again, you're royalty. You're royalty by birth. You're royalty by decree. You are born again into a royal family. But in order to reign in life, you have to receive an abundance of grace. God doesn't want you. He's like, well, I'm going to reign in the millennial kingdom. Well, that's true. He said, well, that doesn't mean you have to live like a peasant in this life to be a king in eternity. Why don't you practice ruling now, so when you get to eternity, you're already pretty good at it? God didn't come to make you royalty when you get to heaven. He came for you to have a royal experience now on earth. He wants you to rule on earth, not be ruled over. He wants you to dominate, not be dominated. He wants you to experience the royal life. And I like something that Bill Winston says. He says, if you say you're royalty and you have no wealth, your royalty will be called into question. So he came to make you every definition as you can think of royalty and reigning in this life. And the first part, once you're born again, you receive the gift of righteousness. But in order to reign like a king in this life, you have to receive overflowing grace. Say overflowing grace. grace. Part of receiving an overflowing measure of grace is understanding what grace is and what it is not. Because what people do with spiritual terms They'll just say, well, they all mean the same thing. Well, grace, mercy, faith, righteousness, justification, that's all the same thing, and it's not. So you have to rightfully divide the word of truth. 2 Peter 1, 2 says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you, or abound to you, or increase. One translation is to be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of of Jesus our Lord. That word knowledge means precise and correct knowledge. So to walk in overflowing grace, we have to understand what grace is. Because grace has many different definitions in the New Testament. Here's just some of them. Grace can mean graciousness, thanksgiving, acceptable, benefit, favor, gift, joy, liberality, pleasure, thankworthy, assistance from God, the anointing, which is the power of God, the manifested measure of the Holy Spirit, the result of the Holy Spirit, the work of God, thankful, and thankfulness. Many different definitions. I remember when Bishop, our founder, started talking about grace in 2013 and teaching on it. And he said, I had 17 different definitions and I found about grace in the New Testament. And he kept teaching. He found two more. So he was up to 19. And he wrote a book about it called Grace and Judgment. Which one is it? And so when he came here to preach, I brought him here to preach. I'm saying, yeah, you guys got to get that book. There's 19 different definitions. And he whispers, I found two more. I said, you found two who? 21 now. So the thing is, with something that has so many different definitions and application in the scripture, you can't just say, well, that word means all these different things in the scripture. No. Let the scripture define the scripture. So what will happen when you go to the scripture, it will tell you exactly what grace means for that scriptural context. And we're going to look at a few of those examples today. You always want to keep the scripture in context. Because if you take the text out of context, you're left with the con. And that's what false teachers and cultists do all the time. They'll take a scripture. They'll work that scripture, but it's out of context. So that means you have to know the word for yourself to know the context. So when the con comes, you don't get conned. And so some people, when cult people come their way, people in false religions come their way, they run the other way. I kind of enjoy talking to them. They come by the house, I answer, I talk to them, I'll be real nice, say what the Word says, say what God has put on my heart for them. I remember one day recently in the fall, we had a couple cold weeks in the fall, and then we had one that was just really nice, the sun was setting, it was warm. So I went outside, I took my daughter with me, we're in this outside mall, just enjoying it, and I saw two people making a beeline for me. And the thought was that they're either enthusiastic Bible students or cult members, he said, Pastor, why do you think that way? I don't know, but that's what I thought. They got up to me and said, have you heard about so-and-so? I was like, oh, there's the cult members. And so they began to take out their Bible app and show me things in Scripture out of context, of course, and tell me why I need all these additional things to make sure I go to heaven. And so I said, that's out of context. Well, no, this will be, no no, no, that's out of context. That's not what it's saying. You're not going to trip me up. You can't do that. That's not out of—that's out of context. Then they said, what you have to do also this to get into heaven. So now you're telling me the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. Well, sir, that, 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 that. so you're saying that in addition to the blood of Jesus, I have to go follow your God. Now, that's heresy. And so they left me frustrated. I was enjoying the conversation, enjoying the weather, talking to them. I said, hey, let's keep showing some more scriptures. They're like, nah, we got to go now. I had some other people when I lived in Texas, they came, they knocked by the house because they're from this other religion. And they, because they don't go there anymore, the couple who live next door, there's a family who live next door we're friendly with. And they say, you know, we left that belief system because they're crazy. We go to church now. So they tell me about it. And so one of their relatives knew they left. And so they called because they said, oh, they're backsliding. So they're going to send the missionaries to go get them. And so they decided, probably shouldn't have. Let's knock on this random door before we get to their house. So I answer, hey, how you doing? Or have you heard about this? Have you read this? Actually, I have read it. Really, you have? What do you think? It's wrong. Why do you say it's wrong? And so we talked about scriptures and different things, and sometimes I'm prepared to do a scriptural debate or defense of the gospel, but it wasn't today, because one of the things I understand, sometimes I send people out who are really mature in the false belief and those who are really new. So I said, well, have you ever seen a miracle? Well, no. Well, let me tell you about something that I've seen God do. So I start telling them about miracles, talking about Jesus healing, the things he did, You see the young one going, wow, really? Really? Jesus still does stuff like that? And you see the old one going, oh, no. We got to go. Sorry, sir. We got, they're back. We really got to go. And so they went to the next house, and they said, next time they come by, we'll say our pastor lives next door. You go talk to him. He'll make sure you get what you need. But What happens? You're prepared to give a defense of what you believe, like Paul said. You have to know the Scripture for yourself that people can't con you. There's a new false teaching all the time. There's new cons all the time. There were cons in the New Testament days. And when you look at Paul's writings, he's constantly, especially the Apostle John, they're defending against false teaching. False letters. People, sent, people took Paul's handwriting and pretended to write a letter and say, Paul sent it. And Paul said, I did not send that letter. So that's why Paul was saying Galatians 1, even if you supposedly get a letter from us and it preaches another gospel, let it be accursed. It's not true. Stick with the word that you have heard. So you can't take the Scripture out of context. And so the same way with grace, the context of the Scripture determines which definition of grace is appropriate. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So in context, grace here is a gift. The scripture just defined the context. Now here's an important principle if you want to live in overflowing grace. Whatever you are saved by is what you live by. Whatever you are saved by is what you live by. You are saved by grace through faith, so you need to live by grace through faith. Now here's an example. What is greater grace or faith? Now, we're faith people. How many faith people are in here? I'm, faith, I'm a faith person. So the question is, what is greater grace or faith? Now, this is an example. Say, this is an example. This is just an example. So one more time, say, this is an example. So because this is an example, let's say behind here I have a Maserati. And it's an example. And all you have to do to get the Maserati is walk through these doors. The Maserati is waiting for you. An example. Keys are right there for you. Insurance has been paid. It's filled up. Waiting for you to enjoy. And all you have to do to get it is walk through the doors. So what is greater, the doors or the Maserati? Some of you quiet, some of you looking at me, we're going to take a poll. How many of you say the doors are greater? How many say the Maserati is greater? These doors, about a couple hundred dollars. To install them, almost the same price. That Maserati, hundreds of thousands of dollars. The Maserati is greater. But you couldn't get to it without the doors. It's the same way with faith and grace. Faith is the door. Grace is the Maserati. Although faith is important, grace is greater. You have to go through the channel of faith to get the grace. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that channel can be as wide as you want it to be. It could be a one-lane street, or it could be a 12-lane superhighway. So it's not about, does God have enough grace for me? It's how wide is your faith to receive the grace? So we live by grace through faith. So to access the grace, I can't work to get the grace. We don't live by works. Now, I'm not saying you're not supposed to work. You are supposed to work but you don't work to get the grace. You don't come to God saying, well, God, I did so many good things this week. I didn't cuss that person out. I wasn't petty on that day. I gave in that offering. I was nice. I actually prayed this week. I read my Bible more than that church. I've done so many good things, so I deserve this grace. That's not how we live. We're supposed to live by grace through faith. So we come up to God as believers. What are believers supposed to do? believe we don't come to God based on our works we come to God based on the finished work of Jesus so we come to God doesn't matter if we did a lot of good things this week or we had a horrible week we come to God and says I believe in who you are I believe in your grace I believe in the finished work of Jesus so based on your promise in this word I ask you for this I receive it that's how you go through the doors to get the grace You can't get the grace any other way. It's by faith. But grace is still greater than faith. So if we want to experience this overflowing grace, we have to live this way. But grace as a mindset, it's God's overwhelming desire to treat you like sin never happened. Grace as a mindset is God's overwhelming desire to treat you like sin never happened. It is an expression of the extravagant love of God. If we want to experience this overflow of grace, we have to have that same attitude and a similar mindset toward others. What do you mean, my pastor? Romans 3, 22 through 24 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short or fallen short of the glory of God. People stop there and that preach that verse. And that verse is true. Everyone has fallen. Everyone has sinned. People are born in a sin state. But that's not the end of the story. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely doesn't just mean that you didn't pay for it. Freely talks about is without limitation, without restriction. So pay attention to me too closely. Grace by nature is promiscuous. Grace by nature is promiscuous. Freely points to without restriction. What does this mean? It means God's grace will go to anybody. If someone is promiscuous, they are loose, unrestrained, they'll be with anyone. It doesn't matter. It's the same way with the grace of God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you've done it with. It doesn't matter how long you've done something. It does not matter. The grace of God comes to where you are and is always waiting for you to turn and receive. You might think, it's going to take so long for me to come back to God. Now you just got to turn. The grace of God has been knocking at the door of your heart every single day. The grace of God is knocking at every heart all around the world all the time. Romans says righteousness hangs above all. So all the thing is to receive that righteousness and receive that grace, you just got to believe. You can't work to be saved. You just have to believe. Because grace has been looking for you. Searching waiting for you to accept and receive. Remember, Jesus is looking for others to give grace away and have this mindset. Remember, whatever you give, you will receive. So what does that look like? John chapter 11. We're familiar with the story. Jesus' good friend, Lazarus, is sick. Jesus is in another city teaching. He says, I'm going to get there. He gets there supposedly too late. Lazarus dies. He's been dead four days. Jesus says, roll back the stone. They thought he was going there to weep. They says, nah, he stinks. And Jesus, roll up the stone, Lazarus, come forth. Thank you, Lazarus. So we were just, oh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. What did Jesus say next? Loose him and let him go, right? Lazarus stinks. He was dead four days. So even if his body is regenerated and doesn't stink anymore, his grave clothes stink and smell like death. The people who got the grave clothes off of Lazarus must have really loved Lazarus. Why? They had to love past the smell. They had a love past the point that there is something under those grave clothes that is valuable. So I don't mind the smell or even possibly getting dirty so that I can get you free. It's the same way in this life. When people are born again, they got grave clothes on. They got some habits that are wrong. They got some lifestyles they need to change. They may have came out of one lifestyle, but they lived it so long, everything in their life still looks like that sinful lifestyle. They have all these grave clothes on, and they stink. But what God is looking for is people who have the same grace mindset that won't mind the smell, that will get close enough and help them. Says, I don't mind the smell, but I'm going to help you get your grave clothes off just like Jesus did for me. It doesn't matter what the smell is. It doesn't matter the stench. I'm going to stick with you. We're going to do life together. Yeah, you may make some mistakes. You may be young spiritually, but I'm going to take you up under my wings and help you be free. It doesn't matter how how much you smell. You are going to be free. Because see, Jesus did the same thing for us. We were raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus. But we still had habits we needed to change. We still had thoughts that needed to be renewed. We still were a mess. But Jesus didn't leave us in our mess. He didn't leave us in our filth. He didn't leave us in our stench. He came to where we are, lifted us up, and got those gray clothes off of us. We had to have that same mentality where people are concerned. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care what the habits are. I don't care what they smoke, what they shout up what they drank we had to have that same mentality walk close enough with them get the grave closed off so that they can walk in the newness of life that Jesus purchased for them that's part of experiencing overflowing grace thank you sir so if we walk in this mindset of grace we'll be on the path of overflowing with grace Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. God did not call you to judge the world. When Jesus came, he said, I didn't came to judge the world, I came to save it. He says, My words will judge everybody at the end, but I'm here as a Savior. God didn't cause you to be born to be the judge. Your job is to love people. Yes, you live by standards. Yes, you live holy. Yes, you follow the scripture. But that doesn't mean you judge others. You walk in love towards them. He says, well, if I see them, aren't I supposed to tell them about their sin? No. The only time you do that is because the Holy Ghost tells you to. He says, well, if you run to someone who's sinning like that, you're not going to talk to them about their sin? Nope. What are you going to do? Be nice to them. Smile. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Pastor, you want to tell them about their sin? No, because unless the Holy Ghost tells me to, I ain't bringing it up. And you may be surprised with what the Holy Ghost tells you to say. He might have to say something that's not even about their sin. He might say, just tell them I love them. Tell them, I remember when there was a kid. I remember what they went through, but I'm going to make it worthwhile to them. He might say, well, God is not preaching about sin. You have to understand sin is a non-issue with God. Sin is a non-issue with God. What do you mean? He dealt with it through Jesus. 1 John 2.1 says Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That means atoning sacrifice. Then John goes on and says not just for our sins, but the sins for the entire world. He's the Lamb of God, not just for the church, but for the world. So the sin is not what's bothering God. So he's not going to send someone preaching sin, 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 sin. He's going to send someone preaching grace, 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 grace. Preaching the righteousness of God. It's interesting to me that in the book of Revelation, one of the titles Jesus known by the most is the Lamb of God. Maybe that lets us know that one of the things we have to preach right before he comes back is that he's the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Not just the good church people. The sins of Of the world so it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter where you've been it doesn't matter how many grave clothes you have on it doesn't matter how you stink spiritually you don't clean yourself up and come to God if you could have you would have done it already just come to Jesus today you have to realize you need a Savior And this Savior can clean you up. This Savior will wash you clean by his blood. It's not by your works you're going to get to God. It's you're going to turn. I need a Savior. Jesus, save me. And he'll start that process. You'll be saved and he'll clean you up. See, you can't clean a fish before you catch it. You're trying to clean up the world but they don't belong to Jesus yet. So don't be shocked. Sinners sin. That's what they do. So instead of being impressed about their sin, be impressed about the grace of God. Hebrews chapter 4. We all need this grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great High Priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession, for we have not a high preacher which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities or weaknesses or limitations, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What is that saying? Jesus, when he walked this earth, was tempted with every temptation possible. If you can be tempted by it, Jesus was tempted by it. You won't even be tempted by everything in your lifetime. But anything that people could be tempted by in the past or in the future, in the thousands of years of human existence, Jesus was tempted by. Yet he didn't sin. So what is it saying? You have a high priest, you have a savior that can relate to what you're going through. It's not like you're praying to someone who has no understanding who's been in the clouds for so long. He's like... I went through exactly what you went through. I won so you can win too. So verse 16 says, because of this, let us therefore come boldly, come with confidence, unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. To experience overflowing grace, you must want grace and go get it. Not everybody wants grace. You must want it and go get it. You have to boldly go to the throne of grace. Don't say, "Oh, I'll just wait for grace to show up." No, go and get it. He has provided it for you, but you must access it by faith. You must believe you receive the grace, whether you feel a goosebump or not. You must believe you receive the grace. So I looked at this word "help." It was, yes, it means aid, but it was a different definition I found that went with it. It means to frap. A sea vessel. To frap a sea vessel. How many we you know what it means to frap a sea vessel? You got one person because they were here earlier, I believe, or they had boats around them. When I saw that definition, the only thing I could think of was Frappuccino. Because you already know I like my caffeine. And so I went to look it up and it says, well, what does it mean to frap a sea vessel? Frapping is an ancient term where sailors would use rope to strengthen or reinforce parts of the boat that are under great strain. Sailors would take the rope and wrap and tighten it around the boat's hull so that it would not break apart under the strain. What is the writer saying? This grace is so powerful that it doesn't matter the temptation or the pressure because this grace can keep you in one piece no matter how great the pressure is. So on days you feel like I'm about to break down, days it's gotten to you I'm about to break apart, days where you feel like giving up, days where you feel like giving in, just throwing around the towel, the days you say I can't go on any further, there's grace. You can come boldly to the throne of grace as God. It feels like I'm about to break down. It feels like I'm about to break apart. I feel like giving up, but I know there is grace for me. So I lay hold to that grace right now. I get up out of my face, and I can handle it. I can do it. I can win. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. I am an overcomer because the great grace of God is on my life. Grace will help you get through any situation and not just get through, but win. Stop focusing on getting through. Focus on winning. The only way you know you win is because you name what victory looked like. A lot of people do a lot of things and go through it and say, well, I made it to the other time, so I had success. Is that really success? If you didn't never define terms, you call it anything success. You need to define some terms. Say what your victory looks like and let your, the grace of God take you there. James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace, thank God. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What is the humble? Those who yield to what God says. Being humble doesn't mean thinking you are a worm. That's religion. That's false teaching. Being humble is yielding to what God says about you and doing what he says. Then it says in verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So God gives more grace, but to experience overflowing grace, you must deal with pride. To experience overflowing grace, you must deal with pride. So you say, well, I'm not proud. Let's take, let's take a look for a second. Who does God consider proud? Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-five tells us that the proud do not trust the Lord. Habakkuk 2, 4 through 5 tells us the proud do not walk by faith. As we just saw here in James 4, the proud are not submitted to God. Psalm 10, 4 tells us the proud do not seek God. So he said, well, I'm not proud, pastor, but if you're living your life without spending time to ask God, what should I do about this situation? How should I handle what's in front of me? And believe in his answer and walk in by faith, you are proud. Notice. When people think of Sodom, they think of all their sexual immorality sin. Well, in Ezekiel 16, 49, the first sin the prophet listed was pride. Pride is a matter of the heart and mind. Obadiah 1.3 says pride can deceive the heart. In Mark 7, pride is listed as an evil thing that comes from the heart and says it defiles the person. In short, pride is an outlook on life where you take your way as higher than God's way. You boldly proclaim that you know better. All your confidence is what you can get and what you can do. You trust in yourself and not God. You do things your own way. That's pride. About 15 years ago or so, I was watching this documentary, and someone asked the Satanist, what is the most demonic song of the 20th century? And when you watch it, you think it's going to be something that's very apparent, very evil. You know that's darkness. And he answered, "Frank Sinatra's, I did it my way." He says that is the message of our movement: Do what you want to do. That's pride. That lifestyle of pride is resisted by God, according to Proverbs sixteen eighteen, Proverbs eleven two, and Proverbs twenty nine twenty three. It is a lifestyle that's met by shame and destruction. Something else about the proud. They carry their own cares, worry, anxiety, and stress. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. It says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time so grace can lift you up. Casting all your care, your worry, your anxiety, your stress upon him. For he cares for you. You cast your care upon God because you have a caretaker that always takes care of you in grand style. To effectively cast your care, you got to keep doing it. Because you can make it says, I'm praying, I'm casting my care. I cast my worry. You're good for five minutes. All of a sudden, you start worrying again. You start getting stressed again. What am I supposed to do, Pastor? Cast it again. How am I supposed to keep casting? To look on. Don't take it back. Keep throwing it. Casting your care is like someone who's trying to throw something in the ocean so they never see it again and then jumping in the ocean to go get it again. You have to cast it to God and give it away. And every time that fear, that stress, that anxiety comes to your mind, give it away again. You're not meant to carry a care. That's why carrying worry and care breaks down your body and causes sickness and issues. You are not designed to carry cares and worry and stress and anxiety. You have to cast them upon Him because He cares for you and takes care of you. So He says, be sober. Don't be drunk with worry and care and stress and anxiety. Be vigilant. Be alert because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. There's whom he may devour. There's whom he can't devour. Those who carry their cares, their stress, and their worry and their anxiety and are full of pride can be devoured by the devil. But those who cast the care and are not full of pride cannot be devoured by the devil. Whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions, what's afflictions? Pressure brought by circumstance, are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So it's not just you going through, it's affecting all the believers around the world. So, what is what they're going through? They started following Jesus, so people turned on them. So, they're facing persecution, pressure brought by people. And the pressure that brought by people called a pressure in their circumstances. So you get to verse 10, but the God of all grace, say all grace. See, this is one of his New Testament names, the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, and strengthen and settle you. Now, let this context define what is Christian suffering. By this context, you see biblical Christian suffering is living with cheerful endurance while walking in love with unlovable people. So be patient and endure while the pressure is on and walk in love with the people who are persecuting you. One version of the Bible says, Now the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you suffered a little. One. Another version says, Yes, you will suffer for a short time. Yes, you're going to endure something for a short time, is what it's saying. But after that, God will make everything right. He will make you strong. He will support you and keep you from falling. He is the God who gives all grace. He called you to share in his glory in Christ. That glory will continue forever. Another verse says, he will personally come and pick you up and set you firmly in place and make you stronger than ever. What does this let us know? Just because it looks bad right now, that doesn't mean that's how it's going to end. Why? Grace is on the scene. So understand this, he is the God of all grace. So whenever you are feeling overwhelmed by your own insufficiencies and your own deficiencies, remember that there is a grace for every weakness and limitation. So it doesn't matter. He says, I can't do this because this, that, and the other. There's a grace for that. It's like Apple used to have that campaign. There's an app for that. There's a grace for that. So the nice, religious, cute, spiritual, churchy-approved title I had for this message is, God, I need grace. Grace. But I had another title in my heart that was just very real between me and Jesus this week. And it wasn't God, I need grace. It was without grace, I suck. (laughs) You have to come to a place where you realize your own weakness, you realize your own limitation, you realize you can't do it on your own. And once you realize that, you realize there's grace for me, there's grace for my weakness. There's grace for my limitation. There's grace from where I'm missing it. So I'm not going to do this by myself. I don't think I have it all together and I can do it by myself. I turn unto the God who's the God of all grace, who sits on the throne of grace, and I go to him for grace to help me in a time of need, grace to cover my weakness, grace to help me above my limitation, grace to take me where I need to go, not where I'm limited because I am falling, because I am failing, but I am succeeding. I am overcoming. I am more than a conqueror. Because of the great grace of God. To experience overflowing grace, you have to know you have weaknesses. But you can't stop there. You have to know that there's grace to overcome your weakness. That as you grow stronger, grace picks up the slack. So what happens when I get strong in that area? Keep getting strong in other areas. And depend on grace. Let's begin to wrap this up. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Paul begins to talk about himself, and visions and revelations he's seen from God, and things he saw when he went to heaven. In verse 7, it says, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation. Reverend Rick Renner says, exalted above measure. He says, this phrase speaks of a person who has been magnified, increased, and lifted up to a place of great prestige and influence. This is talk about Paul in the book of Acts. He was in Ephesus, and he was lifted up in those two years of his ministry there to a place of great prestige. The whole city knew about him. That whole region, which is modern-day Turkey, heard about the good news of Jesus because of Paul's ministry. He had come to a place of great prestige, great honor, great fame. He was famous, even in the spirit world. Because at that time, the demon says to the person, to the seven sons of Sceva, trying to cast out the demon. They didn't know Jesus, so they had no power to do it. And the demon looked at him and says, because I said, we adjure you to come out in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. The dude turned around and says, well, Jesus, I know. I remember him. He beat me down in hell. I'll never forget that. Paul, I know. That word no means I've recently come into acquaintance with him. We've been watching him. I know who he is. But who is you? <laughs> so Paul had become famous. Not just people, even the spirit world had been watching him. So what was the result of that? There was, give me a thorn in the flesh. Well, what is that thorn in the flesh? We can have a scholarly debate. Just keep reading. They'll settle it. The messenger of Satan. Every time messenger is used, the Greek word angelos, it's talking to a spiritual being or a person. So this is talking about a, a demon. To buffet me. That means to hit again and again and again, lest I should be exalted, continue to be exalted above measure. For this thing. Well, what did this demon do? You look at chapter 11, you see all of the pressure by circumstance. And pressure by people and the anxiety and the stress that demon tried to cause. It's listed for you in chapter 11, verse 23 to 28. You see all those things that that demon did. So Paul is spiritual. So he starts praying about it. God, deal with this demon. Deal with this message of Satan. Get this away from me. God doesn't say nothing. So he says praise again. God, I need you to deal with this thing. I need you to get this demon away from me. He doesn't say anything. So he prays again. Come on, God. And God replies to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in weakness and limitations and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So by context, what is grace in this passage? The power of God. That strength is also translated the same word, power. Dunamis, explosive, miraculous, supernatural ability. So Paul is praying for God to deal with it. And God says, my grace, my power, my anointing is enough. So what does Paul do? He says, then most gladly will I rejoice. Why I rejoice because the problem's bad? No, rejoice so that the grace or the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's available, so I might as well rejoice. So what I'm doing, I'm praising God in the midst of pressure. I'm praising God in the midst of a circumstance and a situation so that grace may rest upon me, not for a moment, not because I have a goosebump at church, so that the power of God may stay on me. What happens if the power of God is staying on you? You can deal with the circumstance. You can deal with the situation. You can deal with the demonic attack. So Paul goes on and says, I will take pleasure in all of these seemingly bad things. That phrase, take pleasure, comes from a phrase which means to think well of. So in every bad situation, every circumstance, at every opposing pressure, I'm going to think well. Why? Because when I'm weak, when I'm limited... That word weak also means when I'm feeling needy, Christ is strong. So I may be needy. I may be weak. I may be feeling limited. But there's grace. And if I begin to rejoice in the midst of my circumstance... If I begin to rezo- rejoice in the midst of the pressure, if I begin to praise God no matter what I'm feeling, if I begin to praise God no matter what I'm facing, the grace, the power of God will come upon me and enable me to deal with it. To experience overflowing grace, you have to live a lifestyle of rejoicing and praising God. Not just saying, well, I'll praise God when I come to church. No, you got to praise God every day. Well, I'll dance at church sometimes if the song's right. No, you dance before God anytime you need to. You rejoice before God. You shout before God. You sing before God. You live a lifestyle of praising him and being thankful. And your praises always have to be loud. It's just, God, I'm just so thankful for what you just did there. You start thinking, oh, I'm just so thankful for my family. I'm thankful for this. Oh, I'm thankful. It's worshiping and praising God from your heart. Doing this on a consistent basis is how you let the power of God stay on you. Not just at church, but every day. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Closing down the home stretch so you can see my other notes on the Version Bible app. When you get to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I sent this minister to you to finish the same grace in you as well. And he says, you overflow in faith, in the gifts of the Spirit. You overflow in love for me and for my team, but you need to overflow in this grace also. And Paul, by the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, defines grace as giving. So he says, you need to overflowing and overflow in the grace of giving. What do you mean? Were they givers? Yeah, they tied, They gave offering. They gave to Paul in his ministry. But now situations come up in Jerusalem and they needed another offering. And they said, oh, yeah, we're going to give big. And a year goes by, they don't do nothing. So Paul says, you need to overflow in this grace of giving. So he keeps talking about it, and he gets to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according to his purpose in his heart, shall let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace All those 21 definitions. Say, well, what part of grace do I need to handle this situation? Doesn't matter. He's able to make all grace abound towards you that you always have all sufficiency and all things may abound to every good work. What is that? Grace overflows to you and causes your finances to overflow so you have more than just enough for you. You now have something that you can help somebody else. The worst things you can do financially is only have enough for you, you're for no more. Because who else can you help? You want to help someone, but you got nothing extra. But if you begin to overflow financially, you're looking for good to do. And if you're receiving all grace and overflowing in grace, it'll cause your finances to overflow to where you have extra to help others out and be a blessing. That's part of receiving overflowing grace. So if you're going to experience the overflow of grace, you must be a consistently and faithful, generous, and cheerful giver. It's not just giving once. It's doing consistently. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of giving, a lifestyle of generosity. Because remember, whatever you give, you're going to receive. So if you overflow in the grace of giving, you're going to overflow in receiving. Because you can't be God-given, no matter how hard you try. So you'll keep giving and giving and giving. God's like, it's going to keep coming back. It's going to keep coming back. It's going to keep coming back. You're not going to beat me. I got you on this. So if you do it consistently, you'll have a lifestyle of reaping, which means you just have to learn to reap. That's a lot of people's issues they haven't learned to reap. They give, and they didn't stop talking about it. You say, you know what? I give. Harvest is coming to me. You need to expect goodness to manifest on your job. Look for opportunities to demonstrate the grace of God that's on your life. Expect God ideas, concepts, and insights. God to give you supernatural wisdom, as Isaiah says, to teach you how to profit. A lot of people miss opportunities to prosper because it's dressed up and looks like work. God brings opportunities by you, but if you're not prepared... To seize them, you've missed an opportunity to harvest. So the grace of God overflowing to you is going to bring you creative wisdom, teach you how to do certain things, show you the answer to problems, so that as you handle those things, you overflow in grace and you begin to prosper. So that means if I want to prosper on another level, i got to think on a higher level. Grace brings you the wisdom to manage your personal finances and get it to a place of overflow. So the God of all grace is able to make all grace overflow to you so that you have more than enough in every area of your life so that you overflow to every good work. Acts 4.33, we see a phrase called great grace. That word grace means abundant in quality or overflowing grace. But the thing is, it wasn't just one person overflowing grace. It was that entire church. So it's possible for a whole church to overflow with grace. And that changes the community when it's not just the pastor overflowing with grace or one spiritual person in the church overflowing with grace, when it's everybody. What does it look like, Pastor? Go to Romans 5.17 and we will close. Romans 5, 17. For by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance or overflowing of grace. And the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That phrase, much more abound, is translated overflow. So where sin abounded, grace overflowed. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto the eternal life of Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So, this amazing grace of God is not a license to sin. You're still to live holy, even though there's grace. It's not a license to sin. But this grace works the best, not just in church. This overflowing grace is for when you go out into a lost and dying, sin filled world. Like I said, church people trip out because sinners sin. That's what they're going to do. But the grace that's overflowing in you is made to handle those issues. It says grace began to overflow when sin began to advance. You say, oh, the nation is so dark. So many dark things are happening. Well, that's why you're here. Oh, there's so many sinners in my neighborhood at my job. Well, that's why you're there. Not to judge and not to join in. But to overflow with grace. Because as you overflow with grace, things begin to change. Because the more you overflow with grace, overflow with hope, overflow with encouragement, you begin to look like somebody else. The more you overflow with every good thing, you look more like Jesus. And these days, people need to see Christians that look like Jesus. I'm not just talking about Jesus when he walked the earth. I'm talking about Christians who overflow with every such good thing. They look like the resurrected Christ himself, glorified with all the glory that there is. So walking with God, so overflowing, that when people look at you, they may mistake you for Jesus himself. Why? You're overflowing with every good thing. Now your character is mirroring his, and now there's power to match your character. And when they run into you, they run into Jesus. You get close enough to me, you begin to say, you might run into Jesus because he lives in me. You're overflowing with every good thing from him. It changes everything. So when you get to the status of overflowing, you realize you're contagious. You get close to me, you might catch some hope. You get close to me, you might get encouraged. Hey, don't get too close. You're going to run into the love of God and experience what God is really like. Don't get too close because you're going to run into Jesus and he lives in me and everything he's put in me is overflowing. You get close to me, you experience God. You start overflowing, you're going to talk like Jesus and say, Philip, what do you mean? Show us the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You tell the world, what do you mean? Show you Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. That's what it truly means to be a Christian. They called them that in the church of Antioch. You break down the name Christian it means little Christ. What does Christ mean? Anointed one. What is the anointing? The power of God. Which is one of the definitions of grace. If you actually live up to your title. Cuz it said about those people if they turned the world upside down. Those grace people are right here. Those people with power here, every time they show up, it changes something. So you go to places and hell gets nervous. Amen. You walk in somewhere and Satan begins to tremble. Because, well, the question Satan is asking is do they know who they really are? Because in the spirit, the demons are seeing you like the gremlins bright light, bright light, bright light. <laughs> but. Do they know they're this bright light? Do they know they got an S on their chest? Oh, they don't know. So let me trick them. Let me deceive them. Let me bind them and lead them around. Tell me, yeah, it's going to get better when you get to heaven, but you can't have anything good here. And lead them around so they make no impact on the kingdom of darkness. And so that's what they do all the time. But when there's people who know who they are in Christ Jesus... When there's people who know they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When people know that there's overflowing grace available to them. When they realize that they are anointed and Jesus lives on the inside of them, it makes hell tremble. Satan is afraid of the man who lives in you. When he comes against you, it says resist him and he will flee. It says, Pastor, I've been resisting the devil. He hasn't run away. That either means you haven't resisted long enough or you haven't been resisting. Philippians 1 says, when he comes against you, don't flinch. Don't back down. Look him right back in the eyes and say, you're going to blink first. You have to realize Satan isn't even in your class. He is a fallen angel. You are made in the image of God, and you've been born again. And the Godhead lives in you and rests upon you. Say this terrified of you when you walk in who you're supposed to be. You should live in such overflowing grace that when your feet hit the floor, hell begins to trump. Oh, no, they're up again. They need to sleep longer. They need more rest. Leave them alone. They need to sleep. We can't have them being awake this early. That's how you have to live. That's where God wants to take you. And it's not because you do everything right. It's not because you deserve it. It's because of what Jesus did. And he's made all this grace available, but you have to access it by faith. You're more than a conqueror through him that loves you. There's a greater life available towards you. You just have to follow the process. Remember, you can't get to overflow without being full. So you focus on fullness where these things are concerned. You'll begin to overflow, and you'll look more like Jesus and you'll bring the world to Jesus. Stand to your feet. Redemption is more glorious than anything we've given it credit for. It's time to live up to what Jesus purchased for us on the cross. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior. Pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that He died for me, but on the third day, you raised Him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart, save me now, forgive me of my sins, fill me with your Spirit, and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.